Sometimes you have to um, be willing to bend to be able to accommodate other people's ideas, even when you think maybe that's not how I would do it. Yeah. And sometimes you have to give up pieces to be able to move things forward. I'm Shannon Lucas. And I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And we're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Shit, Burnout, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. And we're so excited today to have time with Deborah Hankin. As chief, as global chief people officer, Deborah takes a human-centric design thinking approach to ensure a superior end-to-end experience for Kinetics people. Previously, Deborah served as the chief talent officer for media brands, and before that, as chief people officer at W20 Group, now doing business as Real Chemistry, a healthcare innovation firm. Prior to that, she was at SY Partners, an innovation management consultancy, where she founded and led the talent function, plus so much more. She's the author of numerous articles on talent, including How to Avoid Innovation Imposters, which I love. Uh, and she was also featured on Good Morning America, discussing Me Too and Time's Up in the Workplace. Thanks for being with us today, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. So we'd love to start off by hearing how you relate to the concept of Catalyst. Well, First of all, I love this idea of Catalyst because even though I've been a Catalyst all my life, I didn't have a name for it. So I felt like once there was a name for it, it felt like it was me. As a girl, um, I really wanted to be the first woman president of the United States. And I maybe I still will. Um, so <clears throat> I wanted to be the first woman president, but then I realized, I read this book called Media, the Second God. Um, by Tony Schwartz, which said, you know, the media is omnipresent. It's everything. If you really want to make a difference, you need to, you need to work with media. And so because I wanted to have an outsized impact, I actually changed to become a part of the world of advertising and marketing. And that that's where I started. So um, my career really um, began there. But one of the reasons why I really see myself as a catalyst is because uh, of the fact I took this unique business uh, outlook and, uh, and married it with HR. And oftentimes you don't have necessarily someone who's worked in the industry and then also becomes the, the, the people person. It's so amazing. And I just, I'm, I'm just curious now, what, what year did you read that book that changed your trajectory? <laughs> I read it when I was 12, actually. Wow. Um, and then by the time I was 16, I was subscribing to Ad Age. And then by college, I was all over the wanting to be working in marketing and advertising. I just loved it. And who could have known then how much actually media and and all of that would have an impact on our elections, but a conversation for another day. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I'd love to hear about what you're excited about catalyzing these days. Well, one of the things that I've been fascinated with for the last couple of years is how um, how we equalize pay for women and, and also um, more marginalized groups. And one of the things that has really changed the whole game has been around um, not being able to ask people when you're hiring them what they currently make. 
that's been a game changer because it used to be that if a woman said, oh, I'm making 60, they'd say, good, we'll pay you 65. And it just would continue on that you'd be paid less. Whereas the man perhaps started out as higher. So that budget maybe was a hundred thousand and the person would say, I'm making 90 for the same job. And then they'd say, we're gonna give you a hundred and it just never worked. But if once they changed the question to, what are you looking for as far as compensation? It was such a game changer. And I'm thrilled about that because I think it makes a huge difference. But now I'm really focused on making sure that we're paying people a living wage. And what's happened is, and particularly in marketing and advertising, um, there's been, when you're starting out in that career, I believe that you're really paid um, to, <laughs> very paid a, a meager salary um, when you first start. And the, it's in New York City, for example, where the cost of living is very high, it's particularly difficult. And I think it makes it so that you can't have people who are necessarily coming from more marginalized backgrounds or don't have the ability to have five roommates or really just can't afford to go into that industry because you're just not gonna make enough. Mm. And so it's been uh, challenging getting more diverse people so one of the things that I've been focused on is how do we pay people more? How do we pay people more coming out of school? Or even if you're not coming out of school, meaning you've chosen a different path um, so that we can ensure that you it's 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 a it's a better career. And you choose this career. And so what's happened is that um, the starting salary um, at many agencies is around forty thousand dollars in. 2022, that's really not going to work. Mm -hmm. And what we were finding is very, very high turnover um, because you would be offered 40,000 and you're like, great, I, I'm excited to come work here. And then you would be offered $47,000 three months later and you're gone. And because there's not really any more barriers to leaving because we're not sitting in the office together and because we are not, there's not necessarily the um, kind of shaming of, oh, you, you left your job? What happened? There's not that kind of thing anymore. We're seeing so much turnover. But instead, if we could actually pay people well, maybe they would stick around. And it's not just about the pay. Obviously, there are myriad of things that, that are involved with you staying. But I really want to make sure that we are paying people well to do great work. And that, like I said, it's an, it's an industry that you want to stick around in. One of the things that's happened is that um, we noticed that when we, when we um, pay people better, also we get a better caliber of person. <laughs> so, surprise, you know, as that, as that expansion goes, you know, pay peanuts, get monkeys. Well, and also the other thing that's changing is um, how do we how do we take work that is not great, that is very repetitive and perhaps could be done through AI or through machine learning or through a, a, a more automated way and get rid of that work hmm. so that it's done in a way that that person can not do such low level boring tasks, but actually what only a human can do. And therefore we can pay you more because we've outsourced it to a different, in a different way. All of this kind of thinking has really resulted in a, 
relooking at what does it mean to be compensated well and why should you stay in the job that you have and um, and I'm really proud of the fact that raising this awareness about paying people what they're worth um, has resulted in um, raising the raising the minimum um, to you know we went from forty thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars and even though that's not exceptional it's a huge bump it's a huge bump can you um i'm not super familiar with your industry can you explain a little bit of the background about why the why the salary the starting salaries were so were so low in that industry i always think of it as a like pretty lifty industry i have to say yeah you know it's it's a it's a long history of um being sexy versus uh paying well and sometimes um so it was it was very glamorous to work in advertising and marketing and you know you get to hobnob with potentially famous people it's very you know there's a lot of allure to the industry um but i think that these days um there's there's still a lot of allure but many the, the difference is advertising agencies are competing in a totally different category than they used to they're competing with all the other outlets like that would hire marketing people whether that's a facebook or a google or Spotify, for example, but you're also competing with the McKinsey's and the Accenture's and the Deloitte's who also hire amazing marketing people. And so the competitive set has just gotten so great um, that you used to be able to get away with paying much, much less. Well, there's becoming a brain drain on the industry because all those wonderful people, they're going to other places. And so it's it's a really challenging time for the industry to find the very best talent. It's always been hard. I think it's even harder. You are sitting at, really, as I listen to you, you're sitting at the intersection of um, what I hear. Um, you know, so what I hear, it's not even HR leaders who are necessarily talking about it, but we know there's this confluence of the barriers of, of space have been removed, right? We're all remote, so that removed a barrier. Edu people are reimagining the impact of education, which you're talking about, the, the breaking down of the walls, and there's now all these different competitors that are coming at it from different technological or different you know, different er different challenges, different areas. So now I'm now I'm curious. So like how in your organization, like how are you spearheading that? Is it in your or that that change? It sounds like partly it's in your organization. And sort of a second part to that is like what challenges are you finding as you're trying to create that change? I mean, giving a 25% pay raise is is massive. It is. And it's also how do you do that? Right. right. I was saying it takes an incredible amount of transformation to say what can we automate? what can be potentially offshored? What, what can we do so that it costs us less and we can pay people more? The other, the other tricky situation that's going to be happening in New York City starting in November is that we're going to have to post salaries and job descriptions. Mm. So the thing that gets very tricky, and I'm, it's a very interesting social experiment, which is if I list the role pays $100,000 because that's what the market bears right now. And I hired you two years ago at $80,000 for the same role. And now we pay you 90,000. We've given you, you know, bumps over time, but you're still making less than what's been posted. How are, how are we going to handle that? What are we going to do? And I don't think we've really figured out, and this is across the board for all kinds of companies, 
how literally how is this going to work how are we going to afford to pay people what we're advertising the market for new people and how are we going to keep people inside happy when they see that posting it's really it's it's going to be a very interesting moment to see how people or what companies do about this i think it's great about the transparency it could backfire because it could be that all the companies coalesce around a certain salary ranges. It could be that they post a range, but then it's really all about behind the scenes, what we pay you in bonus and other things that don't show up in the description. Mm. It could be that um, we, we post everything as being remote. So we get around not posting salaries because you don't have to, if you say their job is remote. Mm. So there's a lot, there's a lot of tricky things about this, but I think as far as, the intention of being able to have it be a more even playing field is a really good one. Um, and I think it's going to be really challenging as we navigate how to deal with those conversations inside <laughs> and how we, how we hold on to people when it may not be as um, lucrative as they hoped. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. There's another trend you're dealing with the AI ML and, and, and equity and all, and all of this as well. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about, um, you know, it's interesting because like, as I've coached people, people who haven't had people in their lives who have gone through having other types of packages, whether it's bonuses or equity or whatever you get, like in some ways, it sounds like that actually may be exacerbating inequity. If people don't know how to navigate that system, is that something that you've been grappling with? Yeah. And I think that one of the things that they don't really teach you in school, um, which would have been helpful is what are all the components that make up compensation? Right. And what is the stuff about taxes? Right. <laughs> How does that totally. work? Um, I, I feel like we have so much education, but not necessarily around the things that really matter um, in many ways for our daily lives. So I, I do think that as you go out there and you're looking to change roles, to really look at the whole picture. I know that is maybe very obvious, but oftentimes we get very stuck with what the base is of a, of a role, but you don't think about necessarily how is it, how many, how much time will you spend commuting if you have to come in? Or is it that you're, um, you're gonna be getting other services or other things that are much more valuable to you um, that maybe the base is not the thing to concentrate on. So. Spot on. I mean, if I like, I mean, I started in the startup worlds when I was, when I was like in my mid twenties and thank God I had a boyfriend who helped me you know, sort of navigate equity and, and options and all of that stuff. Cause I would have, I would have never known. And I think there's, you know, probably the majority of Americans end up in that category and don't know that you can ask for a signing bonus. Like that's a thing, but if no one sits you down and tells you that's on the table, then, then, then you're at a disadvantage. I'm curious though, so, I mean, this is an interesting catalyst case because you are talking about hard dollars. I mean, like there's a business case and it's very obvious if you're like, I'm gonna take all of the people at entry level and bump them up 10K, 25% increase. We know what the line item is. How did you articulate, I mean, even before this transparency for New York thing came in and like, how did you articulate what the business value was going to be when it feels maybe like it could have been a little bit softer? And, and again, this is a, a place that catalysts often find themselves. I need money, but I'm not exactly sure how to communicate to you what the impact is going to be. It's, it's, it, it's complicated, but there was a very good case to be made. One of them is the cost of the organization in trying to continually hire people. You know, interviewing 
is it is a lot of work finding people is a lot of work um make, onboarding people is a lot of work and there is a real cost of the organization when you have high turnover um, and so we were able to quantify that we were also able to show that um we we had when we when we kept people um how much more continuity there were with our, with our clients we were able to quantify um how much um, knowledge you know leaves the building basically when you have somebody leave we were also able to talk about the how it drains the culture too when your colleagues you keep seeing your colleagues walk out the door uh, so and now in this economy we're seeing that if you lose somebody six months later you're trying to replace people it's going to cost you a lot more so better to hold on to the people that you have if if they're if they're doing well it's a it's a fascinating moment of what's happening in the world i've never seen salaries raise this fat rise this fast and it's also um people are putting their foot down and saying that's not okay with me this is this is how i want to work this is how i want it to be they're setting boundaries which I find inspiring and also uh, at the same time, quite honestly, a bit galling too. I'm like, you know, this is it's still called work for a reason. But that being said, um, I know that doesn't sound human, very human centric, but realistically, you know, we, we have to we have to be accommodating, but we also need to realize that things get have to get done too. So, but to go back to the to the question at hand. Um, really trying to set up the value proposition that it's it's a it's win it's a win-win if we hold on to these people versus having to have these people cycle through there was another little side effect that happened from the pandemic which was fascinating typically people coming out of school would be hired in and they would start in their careers but because of the pandemic a lot of people didn't finish school or didn't start school or didn't seek jobs because they thought, well, I don't know what's going on with the pandemic. And so there were a dearth of people entering the marketplace at the most junior levels. Mm. There was this band of people that normally would have been promoted once or twice already into, you know, into, at this time, there was, there were very few people coming into the system. So now you have this whole of people who have not had one to two to three years experience, mm. and you're trying to hire in these very junior people, they have no one to learn from. And there's a huge gap now to the next level. Wow. So those people who are, we have nobody at this kind of early career point, but it still has a little bit of experience. And we have all these people are trying to bring in who are saying, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna come for that much money. We don't have the people to learn from, and we're desperate for the people to come because we need that help. So they had more, they had more impetus to be able to ask for what they needed too, because the markets, it's a hard market. We the labor, we need those people. Mm -hmm. So it's the best time to ask. Now there's some dark clouds on the horizon, per, perhaps around maybe a looming recession. And we'll see what happens now with it was such a it's been such a hard hot job market. We'll see how things evolve over the next couple of months and we'll see if maybe we come down a little bit but it's it was a, it's been a fascinating ride for sure 
Yeah, it's hard not to listen to you talk about it and think about inflation in, in the country for sure. So, yeah. so are there key learnings? I mean, it sounds like you were you were successful in making the business case, and it sounds like maybe you're still tackling things. Um, what are some of the key learnings going through this process that you would share with other catalysts? Um, you have to have people come along for the ride. And one of the things that I know as being a catalyst is it can be very lonely because you see it so clearly and maybe others don't. But if you can't get people to come along with you, you're not going to be successful. And sometimes you have to do some Jedi mind tricks to have people think that they came up with it. Sometimes you have to, I know, sometimes you have to um, be willing to bend to be able to accommodate other people's ideas, even when you think maybe that's not how I would do it. Yeah. And sometimes you have to give up pieces to be able to move things forward. Um, and I think being able to, um, being able to be flexible by design around it so that you still get to where you need to go um, is really important. If you are too rigid in going through the process, you probably won't get there. Amen. Amen to that. All those things. Thank you. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm going to hand it over to Tracy for rapid fire. Thank you for sharing that story, Deborah. Oh, the wisdom uh, across this, but in particular, this last couple moments of like, how do you achieve what you've been achieving is, is deeply, is deeply resonating in my body. In our first rapid fire, in a couple minutes or less, what actionable insights of advice do you have for catalysts out there? Or, you know, said another way, what do you wish you'd known when you were 20? The one thing, I've been thinking about this a lot, um, the one thing that I really wished that I realized was that taking care of myself actually mattered more than I ever understood. Sometimes I would work myself into a little nub and I'd be like, little Jimmy will live if I just work another hour, you know, and then meanwhile, you know, I haven't gone to the bathroom. I haven't eaten. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't slept. And I'm thinking, and, and if I had known my 20 year old self, I would have said, you know what? Little Jimmy won't live, go, go to the bathroom, go take, you know, go read, go relax, go do these things. And you will actually be in better shape to do better work. I, I really wish I had said to myself, you know, as they say in Saturday Night Live, Simadana, you know, like just <laughs> take a moment, take care of yourself and you will actually be even more um, happy, successful in your, in your work. Uh, not often, do you get an actual snort from me during the podcast, Deborah? <laughs> and I totally just snorted aloud. Uh, deep wisdom. Shannon and I often say a burnt out catalyst makes no change at all, right? That it, it takes this flip exactly that you're talking about of understanding. If you take care of yourself, then you're able to keep going. Uh -huh. And when you when you stop going, right, nobody's nobody's getting any of the benefit that you can bring. So and it's, awesome. I see people doing that more and more, which is wonderful. And it merely, I think it makes the most difference. Agreed. You have, you have total agreement on the side. So what advice do you have for executives in finding and leveraging their catalysts? So the first thing that I'll say, and I'm going to be talking about this more at the 
um, constellation cat or castle catalyst con <laughs> constellation. Yeah, the empowerment summit. Yeah, empowerment summit um, in a couple weeks. The one thing I'd say is that you really want to get very clear on why do you need this person? Why and and also to get everybody who's going to be a key stakeholder to agree to what is this person going to be doing. Um, and because what happens is it, it really slows down the hiring process when one, everybody agrees it's a four-legged animal, but they're like, it's a giraffe, it's a dog, it's a lion. It's like, well, what, those are all animals, but like they're very different animals. So to be very clear on it. And then the other thing is to say, you know, have we, <laughs> to go with another animal, like, have we made a turducken here of a job? Like, have we taken all these jobs and put them together to make this one job, is it really one person's job or do we need more people in order to be successful? And then what support do you need for this person to be successful? A lot of times people just like, hey, let's just throw them in there and see what they'll create. And then, you know, what happens is they're thrown in there and it's, it's not great because there's no, there's no ecosystem that actually supports that innovation or that transformation. And I know all these things because of the work I've done in innovation groups and hired hundreds and hundreds of innovators over my time, that the worst thing you can do is to not set them up for success. Mm -hmm. And so those are a couple of things I would say right off the bat. And we're going to talk more about it, as I said, about what do you ask and how do you determine if someone could be a great catalyst for your team yeah. and how do you do this well? Well, I am incredibly excited for that talk, I'll tell you. I'll be taking notes. <laughs> Great. So getting real, what is the worst part about being a catalyst? The worst part of being a catalyst is seeing disappointment. And what I mean by that is that you think that you have some, done something or found something or it, something is brilliant and it's gonna be game-changing and you get the want want look. Like that wasn't what I was expecting or is that all there is? Or, oh, did so-and-so see this? You know, <laughs> so the disappointment I think is the worst part. And so the one thing that I've learned is that um, you need to check in more and get buy-in along the way. When you come out at the end without having checked in, you may get the want want look. And that's 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 the worst. How does the checking in help that? How do you mitigate the want want? <laughs> you mitigate the want want by if you checking in and you're like, you know what, this is what I have in mind. What do you think? What pitfalls do you see? Who else should I talk to about this? And it takes a lot of energy to bring people along for the ride. But the one thing that I've learned is that, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, it is the most critical. If you can't get people to come along for the ride, you're gonna be by yourself and it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. And it's not just, you know, I'm hearing that there's so many benefits in this process that you've learned through the years of the idea itself has a better chance, of course, of being born. But it sounds like, to your point of self-care, that your energy as a, as a catalyst and as an innovator is maintained so that you're not seeing that reflection that is so depleting for you as often. Yes. And, I, and for someone, I actually cared deeply when I 
when I try to do something that's really going to have an outsized impact. And so it can personally hurt if it doesn't land the way that I had envisioned. But um, also being a catalyst is sometimes it won't be what people expect. And to also yeah. have the also have the fortitude to be able to say to yourself, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Yeah. That's tough, right? How do you how do you hold on to the, the finish line? I don't know. That? No, actually, <laughs> no, what you what you you know what it's it's you're never finished. That's the thing. Um, it's you're never finished because when you do amazing work, it can always be iterated on. There's always something new. There's always something better. And as a catalyst, it just keeps going, going, going. That's right. But I think, but I think that I I try to take pleasure in this in the small movements as well as the large, and to the little the little wins. And also, you know, I I also take a lot of um, joy from having other people get inspired. And that's so a lot of paying attention to, so not just bringing people along on the journey, but beginning to pay attention to the journey more fully. So there's a finish line, of course, you've got to keep in mind, but look at this win, look at this engagement with someone, let's celebrate that together. That's, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So what's the best part about being a catalyst? The best part about being a catalyst is being able to envision a future that doesn't yet exist and actually making it happen. Yes, it feels good, doesn't it? It does, especially for something that's quite meaningful. Um, And, you know, a lot of times doing the basics well is some of the hardest work. Uh, And so if we do things really well and it, it, it just, it hits it and we're able to make that change, um, that's, it feels great. And to have, and I'll also say to be supported in a way that allows you to be at your best to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate in my career to have that support to be able to do some extraordinary things. And I feel like there's a lot, so much more to be done, but I really hope to be able to be in that inspiration to other people to say, you know what, what if we, Maybe there's a better way here and to, to have the guts to be able to make that change. Yeah, it's, it's in it, for me, it's really inspiring. We read so much about the great resignation and and what's happening today, but to hear you really talk about what does it take within an organization to be dealing with this and not just responding to it, but then also solving larger problems like closing the equity gap. So it's not just how do I retain and hire talent in my neck of the woods, but how do I do this in a way that actually aligns to something that's really important and meaningful to me? So absolutely. You're doing the work and I love it. <laughs> well, I, I, I think also um, everybody is a catalyst and it's just how much do you choose to embrace it and go for it? Um, so, yeah. So I, I, I would love for people to bring out their inner catalyst, see how they can actually, yeah, make great things happen. I love it. And as we wrap up today, is there, are there any other calls to action to our listeners that you'd like to share? Um, yes, I would love for you, as I said, to attend the um, Catalyst Constellation sessions. I think there's going to be a lot of great speakers there. That's June 7th and 8th. And also, I encourage you to come and look on our website at conatics.com. It's C-O-N-N-A. 
A-T-I-X, to learn more about what we're doing with, um, uh, with video and publishers and AI and machine learning. And so I, I hope to see you there and um, check out our check out our video about we don't talk about cookies. I haven't seen that one yet. We'll be sure to we'll be sure Send to post the link. These. We'll put it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, it's totally. up there for you. I want to yeah. I want to I want to hear about we don't talk about cookies. I like that song. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so much, Deborah. We are incredibly excited to continue to watch you as you close the, the pay gap, uh, create equity for women and all of the future challenges that you're going to be tackling. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more on how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at www.catalystconstellations.com. And of course, be sure to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. If you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send the link their way.